Good morning. Welcome to this assembly. We're so glad to see each of you here and hope that you have your Bible. We will be making reference to God's Word throughout our time together. Starting with Mark 16, 15 and 16. In just a moment. Mark 16, 15 and 16. Let me begin this morning with some questions which are designed to cause us to think very personally for just a few moments. Have you been baptized? Why were you baptized? Is there a good solid connection between your individual baptism and the teaching of the New Testament? It will be valuable. A good matter of personal inventory for each of us, not only during this time frame, but after this, to inquire about our baptism. If we have been baptized. Have you been baptized? Why were you baptized? And is there good solid connection between your individual baptism and the teachings of the New Testament. I hope that what I present this morning will help us in regard to these matters that are so vital. Here's a good place to start. What did Jesus say? This was after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus appeared to the eleven as they sat at a table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, it says, because they did not believe those who had sent him after he had risen. And then he said this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Jesus sent his apostles out to preach this. They were to preach the gospel to every creature. They were to tell sinners about the atoning death of Jesus Christ and then give instructions by which they could respond to the grace of God that was exhibited on that cross. And they spoke of faith activated in baptism. Now, that should strike us as significant. This was not Jesus just making casual conversation with the eleven. This was not an exchange of opinions. And this was not something optional, trivial, or indifferent. Jesus is issuing what we now call the Great Commission and in sending these men out to preach the gospel, he makes this statement, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Let me say to you, if there was nothing else in the New Testament, nothing else in the New Testament on the subject of baptism anywhere, I believe this would be enough 
to be baptized and then teach others that it's necessary. Now, if it helps, perhaps we can observe what Jesus did not say. He did not say, he who believes will be saved. That leaves out part of what he said. He said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus did not say, he who believes will be saved and then Sometime later, when it's convenient, if he wants to, he can be baptized. And Jesus did not say, he who is baptized shall be saved, because that would leave out what he said about belief. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. It may also help to use what Jesus said as the right response to that question, who will be saved? Jesus, who will be saved? He who believes and is baptized. For those who believe in God and accept the integrity of the Son of God and believe in who Jesus is and what he did, the matter is settled at Mark 16, 15 and 16. And if you've never been baptized, there needs to be a sense of deep concern and urgency about your relationship with God as respects this command. Now, in addition to what Jesus said, we can study what Peter commanded in Acts 2, 38. He said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, we should never study Acts 2.38 or use Acts 2.38 or preach Acts 2.38 without presenting the context of the statement. This was on the day of Pentecost after the death, burial and resurrection and ascension of Christ into heaven. The apostles gathered in Jerusalem. They were there under the obligation of the words of the Great Commission that we just studied in Mark 16. They were there to begin preaching the gospel. They were there to carry on that command. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to assure their accuracy in their teaching. And Peter's sermon is given in Acts chapter 2. Now... His sermon is not about baptism. His sermon was about Jesus Christ. And then after telling them about Jesus Christ, he talked about what their response ought to be. In Peter's sermon, he talked about who Jesus is, what he did. God said him. What happened by the hands of lawless men when he was taken to the cross? What that means for us. But God raised him from the dead and exalted him to his right hand. That's a summary of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now there are people in the audience who are already saying and waiting for Peter to answer. What do we do about this? Beginning with verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly 
that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You need to know that. When they heard this, it goes on to say, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, the very thing I described a moment ago, men and brethren, what shall we do? And here is his statement, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Here, I believe, is the way to study this. If you believe everything in verses 1 to 36 in Acts 2, you will not hesitate to do what verse 38 teaches. I'll say that again. If you read Acts chapter 2 and you believe everything Peter said about Jesus Christ in verses 1 to 36, you will not hesitate to do what verse 38 teaches. I cannot imagine the reasoning that would embrace wholeheartedly everything taught about Jesus up to verse 36 and then come to verse 38 and say, well, who cares about baptism? If you accept Peter's testimony about who Jesus is and what he did, his resurrection from the dead, where he is now at the right hand of God, why would there be any hesitation to do what verse 38 says? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now, if all we had was Mark 16... And Acts 2, that would be sufficient to respond to God through Christ by being baptized for the remission of sins. But, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Listen to what Paul describes in verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 1 describes a condition of life nobody should desire. Continuing in sin. There may be the temptation or the immature or self-serving doctrine of saying, well, God's grace is there. I'm just going to continue in sin. Paul says, no, you can't think that way. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We ought to never assume that grace from God is permission to sin. That's a misuse of a good thing. Instead of continuing in sin, the abundance of God's grace exhibited on the cross should influence us to die to sin. Paul, how do I die to sin? Romans 6 verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were, bear, were baptized into his death 
We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, if I do not want to continue in sin, if I want to die to sin, if I want sin in my life to be killed, here's the answer. As many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus have died to sin. Now, <clears throat> there is no complex theological issues to unravel. You can do research into the Greek if you want to. But that labor is not necessary. There is no intricate grammatical or literary issues, no problems posed by translations concerning the matter of dying to sin and being freed from sin by the cross, no longer living in it. In this passage, who has done that? As many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus. You see, concerning baptism, what Jesus said, Peter commanded, and Paul described. And what did the Ethiopian man do? I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 for a few minutes. There's something... <clears throat> right in the middle of the passage, I hope we do not overlook. Acts 8, I'm going to read 26 through 40. Let's be listening carefully. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Peter open, uh, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What was the man doing who wanted to be baptized? He was reading. King James Version, he was returning and sitting in his chariot and he read Isaiah the prophet. In the NIV, reading the book of Isaiah, the new King James, he was reading. This simple fact must be kept prominent in the story. He was reading the Word of God, and as he read the Word of God, he wanted to know who the prophets were speaking of. And Philip said, Jesus the Christ, and Philip preached the gospel to him. Philip's role was to show this man that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. In that preaching... From Philip to the Ethiopian man, there was obviously something about how to respond to Jesus Christ. As they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Why did the Ethiopian man ask to be baptized? Because in the preaching that Jesus fulfilled the prophets, Philip apparently talked to him about how to respond. It should not surprise us, in fact, it is an expected thing in the book of Acts that Philip would teach baptism as the response to the gospel. So the man wanted to be baptized, and in fact, he was. Here is a man who read the Bible, learned the truth about Jesus, then from Philip learned what he needed to do, and he did it and went on his way rejoicing. And so what Jesus said, Peter commanded... Paul described, and the Ethiopian man obeyed. Someone will say, after hearing this, what about the grace of God? Everything we've been talking about this morning originates in the mind of a loving and gracious God who sent his son to die for us, and baptism has its meaning there. Because of God's gracious generosity toward man. We know what our problem is. We know we cannot solve that problem on our own. God sent his son to die for us. God raised him from the dead. When we do what the eunuch did, when we read the Bible and we learn about Christ, we come into the New Testament and discover what we need to do to respond. The question would be, what hinders you? 
from being baptized. If you've heard the gospel, you're willing to confess your belief in Jesus Christ, turn from your sin and be baptized into Christ and live faithfully, the question remains, what hinders you from being baptized? You can come forward and tell us this morning, you're ready to be baptized. Let's be standing as we sing.